Hello from Classical KUCO. This is Spotlight on the Arts, where we take a moment to talk with local artists, performers, composers, conductors, and leaders on the many special activities and challenges taking place within our community. I'm your host, Paul Nesper. For our August 24th episode, we sit down with Dr. Michael T. Geib, General Coordinator with the Brish Center for Historical Performance, to discuss the differences between instruments then and now, and to discuss their upcoming performance. Then, we'll sit down with Eric Hyman with the Myriad Botanical Gardens to discuss your song, an Elton John tribute. As we like to say, let's put a spotlight on the arts here in Oklahoma. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Spotlight. My first guest is Dr. Michael T. Geib, General Coordinator and a performer with the Brish Center for Historical Performance. They will be presenting a concert on Sunday, August 27th at 4.15 p.m. at the Radke Fine Arts Theater, located in the Center for Transformative Learning, Room 120. This concert is in celebration of the birth date of their namesake, Dr. Margaret Brish. Dr. Michael Geib, welcome to Spotlight. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's always a pleasure to have you. Uh, it's going to be a great uh, conversation. I'm really looking forward to this. So we're here to talk a little bit about historical performance ensembles, specifically the Margaret Brish uh, Historical Performance Ensemble. So I know you guys have been around for a little bit, but for our listeners that maybe are unfamiliar with a historical performance ensemble, what's the difference between that and, say, what they might see if they were to go see the Oklahoma City Philharmonic? Sure. So the Brish Center for Historical Performance, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary last year. And the purpose of the center is to recreate music as it would have been performed during the time period when the music was actually written. And we specialize in Western European music, specifically from the 17th and 18th centuries, And sometimes we'll do some other things, but that's kind of the purpose of the center. So what does it mean to try to recreate that? Well, while we still have some of the instruments that existed, a lot of the equipment has changed since a lot of this music was written. Okay. You wouldn't think that would make a huge difference. You're like, well, you know, it's, you still got to chop down a tree to, you know, (laughs) carve an instrument, right? how, How big of a difference can it be? But some of the the core differences, number one, some of the instruments that we're using on this concert are no longer common in Western art music, dare we say. Our first piece on the program, which is a consort written by William Laws, actually features two theorbos, two violins, which violin, you know, we, we see those at the fill, and then we have two bass viola da gambas. Now, a theorbo is a kind of guitar but it doesn't have six strings like your modern guitar. It has a lot more. I actually don't know the exact number. I'd have to look it up, so I won't misspeak. But that's just one example. Another example of what is different about historical performance is the equipment, and a big part of it are the strings that we use. So after World War II, there was a big shift from using strings that we call gut strings, which were made out of for lack of a better term, um, animal intestines. <laughs> they, um, but, but there was a lot of leftover metal 
after World War II. And so they switched to using metal strings. And the big difference there was that metal strings, um, they typically last a lot longer and they're at a much higher tension so they can actually be a lot louder. So orchestras now, the volume is, is much, much higher than it would have been. So if you hear, say, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, well, when the, that piece was written, technically they would have been using gut strings back then. So the instruments would have been a lot softer. That's one big difference. Another one is the temperament that we play in, which so typically your orchestra, say the fill, tunes at an A440, right? That's the the hertz of the A. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, this is a big argument amongst historical performance scholars, but the general agreement is that the overall pitch was lower back then. And it really would have depended on the town, say, where the organ was pitched. But one of the most common um, pitches that are used by early music ensembles is actually to tune to an A415. So everything that we're playing actually sounds about a half step lower than what you'd hear normally. And beyond that, we'll also feature some other types of historical instruments. I mentioned viola da gamba. The gamba family instruments are actually the predecessor to the violin. They they were the uh, the instrument of choice amongst amongst courts, and so a lot of Western art music that was written back, say, in the Baroque period, was not usually written or, or wasn't always written, say, for the the violin or the cello. For a long time, the violin was considered a commoner instrument, and it wasn't really until going into the 18th century that it it truly gained the prominence that it now has as like the instrument of choice for for bowed string players. And a big in difference with the bowed string instruments is that they are number one or the the gamba family, I mean by bowed string instruments, they are fretted instruments like you'd see on a guitar. Mm-hmm. Modern violins, cellos, etc do not have frets, but they did use frets on these instruments back then, which was fascinating. And one big difference versus a modern guitar fret is that th- the frets were also made out of gut and they were movable. Hmm. Yeah, which is fascinating and also a little bit terrifying, if you ask me, because it's like, <laughs> well, where do I want this note to be today? And But again, they were using the equipment that they had right. back then. So... And another thing is that the, the system of tuning was different. I don't want to get too much into music theory, but... Your most of the modern string instruments, say the violin, viola, and cello, they're the strings are tuned in intervals of a perfect fifth. Whereas these gamba instruments, they were usually turn, tuned in a combination of fourths and thirds, hmm. with almost like a modern guitar. Yeah. Um, and one other big difference, and I gotta say this as a bass player, was that your most of your modern bowed string instruments they play with an overhand bow. Where uh, the gamba instruments, they actually played with an underhand bow. The only instrument that still uses that type of bow is a double bass. But double bass players can play overhand or underhand bow. But the origins of the underhand, some people call it French and German. I was going to say, is that the French versus German grip? Exactly. As the the ignorant one over here? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, you knew the term, so. (laughs) I was in the ballpark. Right? (laughs) But the origins of the, the German bow or the underhand bow grip come from the viola da gamba. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's, and so when you maybe first look at the ensemble, you wouldn't notice because the bass viola da gamba looks a lot like a cello. But if you look closely, you see, wait, there's more strings. There's six strings there. Wait a second, there's frets on that instrument. 
Um, oh, and another thing that we do is that uh, we don't use any type of end pin. So, so uh, double bass players and cellists, they have to have their instrument at a certain height. So modern technology, there's a, just a, a wooden, or well, not wooden anymore, it's usually metal, uh, a metal pin that comes out of the bottom of the instrument, and then you usually use a screw to tighten it to whatever height is is correct for you because yeah. every person is different. But back then they didn't have those. They either sat the instrument on the floor in terms of the um, a contrabass gamba instrument or um, an instrument I'm going to be playing called a, a violone. I can talk more about that in, a, in the, a minute. Or they would actually cradle the instrument in between their legs hmm. without an end pin. So it's something that... I can see how that would make things quieter too. It dampens yeah. the vibrations and... Absolutely. So there's a lot of just small differences like this, but the the mission of the center is to recreate this music as it would have originally been performed. And it's always very just eye-opening to me because so many of the excerpts that we play, say for a modern orchestra audition, were written at a time when they really would have sounded and been played drastically differently, if you think about it. I mean, the and... Not to mention the projection of the sound, the tuning, et cetera. And it really would have been, yes, a violin's a violin in many ways, but the overall sound of the orchestra would have been just very different than what we're used to hearing today. And that's our goal is to recreate that as much as we can. Well, and, and for the brass players uh, in the room, and I obviously uh, I'm pretty pretty close with uh, Peggy, a fellow Chicagoan, but no valves on the horns. Nope. They were using crooks to adjust their tuning, and everything was an open harmonic. Where nowadays, obviously, they have a valve system. So it's uh, it's incredible. Just obviously, time is consistent. And while two hundred years is a long time by our standards in the you know scope of the universe, that's nothing. To see how much instruments have changed in the last two to three hundred years is truly incredible. It is. And with our bowed string instruments, and I'm speaking more to that because that's kind of my area, but you're absolutely right about brass instruments too. They were played very, very differently. And so many of the changes were made for convenience, which allowed just more versatility and virtuosity on the instruments. The one funny thing is with bowed string instruments, we still play some of these variable instruments. One of my double basses is from the late 1700s from oh, wow. Italy. And... What's funny about it is that when I try to use a truly modern setup on the instrument, sometimes, for lack of a better term, she gets a little grumpy. And <laughs> when I've put gut strings on the instrument or used lower tension strings, the the instrument actually resonates a little bit better because that's how the instrument has been played for most of its life. Yeah. So it's it just little things like that. And that, I'm not trying to say that everybody should go back and try to... <laughs> recreated as we are because there's a lot of reasons that we don't use gut strings anymore they're very temperamental which can be a problem in a place like oklahoma (laughs) especially when it comes to just weather changes the strings will react to that so they have to be kept in as consistent of an environment as possible they they tend to break more easily and don't last quite as long with a lot of wear and tear and they're very expensive they cost sometimes twice as much as a set of modern strings. Mm. Now, metal strings have gotten expensive lately, too, as has everything, it seems. But even still, they're, just because of... Think about the labor that it would take to create these still, and there's not a lot of places you can buy them. 
anymore. Good point. That's yeah. a very, very good point. Very labor intensive, and it takes time. That's a great point, and that's great information too. Uh, not always things that we think about when we go see a chamber performance or an orchestra performance. So, yeah, outstanding. Um, you mentioned you guys have been around for 10 years. How did the ensemble come about at UCO specifically? So it was a brainchild, if we will, of Dr. Tess Remy Schumacher and Dr. Sion Ted Honey. They are both early music specialists and enthusiasts, and Tess actually did a, a – I, I forgive me – for not knowing the exact term, but she did a residency at Harvard University in the 2010 to 2011 academic year, which was funny because that was my first year at UCO. And so <laughs> I didn't get to see Tess very much that first year. And, and that's because she was at Harvard specifically working on research in historical performance practice. And after she did that, she came back here and uh, teamed up with Dr. Honey and they said this is something that we think is is very important and is something that we didn't have at the time in um, in the entire state. The Brisch Center for Historical Performance is the first historical performance center in the state of Oklahoma and the oldest. And, and now some other places are doing it as well. Oklahoma City University has an early music ensemble, and I know the University of Oklahoma, they have a new-ish musicology professor that I work with he and I worked together with the Oklahoma Baroque Orchestra. But I'm saying all these things because over 10 years ago, a lot of these things didn't exist necessarily. And it seems that early music is just really taking off here. There's a lot going on between the Brisch Center and what's happening at OU and OCU. There's there's the group Taktus, which I know you've had them represented yep. on the program here. And now there's also an Oklahoma Baroque Orchestra, which is in its second year. And the, we, we're all trying to work together to just for further early music in the state because it and it up until this point it wasn't really something that we found here and you really had to go to a place maybe like Boston or Philadelphia to get a lot of early music performance practice and that's where a lot of the most prestigious early music ensembles in the country exist like the Handel and Haydn Society in Boston yeah. etc but outside of those areas there wasn't quite as much of it happening and even in just in the central U.S., there's still not a lot of it. There's there's a group in Kansas City, and you'll find some groups in Dallas, but mm -hmm. given the size of the DFW Metroplex, you'd think there'd be more. And so we're, we're all just working together to recreate the music as, as it was. And, yeah. and it's a lot of fun. It, it's something that it's always very eye-opening, and just as a professor – I feel like it's my job to be as knowledgeable as possible about as many things that could relate to my students and help them be successful. And that's also important for me because and my students because I want them to understand that if something is maybe difficult on a modern instrument, that's because, hey, maybe when it was written, the instrument was tuned differently. Yes, we've adopted it on modern instruments, but understanding the context can also help people just in their understanding of how can I – perform this now and versus how would I have performed it then, et cetera. Yeah. Well, and you know, with, we talk a lot, you know, both on this program at this station uh, and just around Oklahoma city, just how much it has changed, especially in the last 10 years and how much the arts have played such a vital and pivotal role in helping transform this into a modern metropolitan 21st century city 
that people want to come to and where you're able to offer people variety. If they're, you know, and this is obviously nothing against any other ensemble, but if they're like, you know, we've we've heard this Beethoven piece before, we've we've heard the Shostakovich piece before. I'm less familiar with Baroque music or music from the Renaissance. Let me go see what y'all have to offer. And it just gives a nice variety. So if you want to hear early music, you can. If you want to hear modern chamber music, you can, and everything in between. Exactly. It's so cool. It's so awesome. So what are some of the things that we can expect from, because this is not only a concert, but it is a celebration of uh, Dr. Margaret Brish's birthday. That's correct. The concert's not on her actual birthday, right. but it's always around the time. And a few years ago, um, Dr. Tess Remy Schumacher started the tradition of having our opening concert for the semester as a celebration of our benefactor, Dr. Margaret Brish. And it it's turned into a tradition that everyone likes to be a part of. Another reason that the center really likes to have this opening concert is that it's before a lot of the student ensembles can perform. They usually don't give their first concerts until early October. So in the academic sense, in that calendar, we love being able just to kick things off at the beginning of the semester, get people excited about what's happening at UCO. But that doesn't mean you have to be at UCO to come be a part of the concert. Uh, The concert is on August 27th at 4.15 p.m., which reflects the uh, our tuning pitch. So we... <laughs> I was going to ask why did it start at 4... That makes all the sense in the world now. I couldn't help myself. When I when I took over, I said I, I would love to have an afternoon concert at 4.15 p.m. So that's when we're going to hold it. And the concert's in the Radke Fine Arts Theater on the UCO campus, which is in the Center for Transformative Learning. They might also call it the Stellar Building now. But it's oh, free... It's- Stellar building? Okay, yeah. that's good I, to know. <laughs> again, that, that would be something uh, to look up. I, when they built it, it was called the, the Center for Transformative Learning. So, But certain things change, so it's worth double-checking. But uh, the concert is free and open to the public. Donations, of course, are going to be welcome and are always encouraged, but uh, that isn't required at all. And we would just love for people to, to come out and listen and experience the concert. And it will be live-streamed, too, via the UCO Music webcasting site. Excellent. And, and that will be... A great experience as well, but there's something to be able to be in the room with these instruments. And never the same when you ha- when you hear it online. Even if you know what it sounds like in your head, it's just never the same. Yeah. And I know for myself, I would love to speak to anybody about the differences in the instruments afterwards. And I'm I'm sure the rest of our ensemble members this time around would love to do that as well. We of course we want people to maybe not go up and touch the instrument without permission or things <laughs> like that. But but we would love to be able to just. Do a little bit of sh- of, a, of an instrument showcase, maybe afterward, if people want to come talk to us. We'd Absolutely. love to explain it. Everyone that's involved in this really believes in what we're doing and is very excited about it. One of our Theorbo players, we, he and I sat talking just after our rehearsal the other day, and he was telling me all of these things that I had no idea about, and it was <laughs> wonderful and fascinating. So we, we love to share. That's uh, 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 that's just the great part about music. There's always a story to tell. There's always an experience to share. That is super cool. So, how many performances a year do you guys typically put on? Does it vary on the on the year and your availability, or do we try to stick to like two to three a semester? So this year we're doing an opening concert each in the each semester in the fall and the spring semesters. Fall concert is August twenty seventh, like I said. And the spring concert, 
I believe is January 28th. I will have to double check myself, but that's that's when that one takes place. And then this fall, the Bruce Center is also hosting a concert with guest artist Robert Levin, who's a keyboard player who specializes in early music. And there's going to be a change. I don't know if it's reflected on the website yet. It was November 16th, but I believe the recital is going to be changed to November 17th. But that will also be in the Radke Fine Arts Theater. And those are our concerts that are scheduled this year. But we also work with, say, guest artists that come and work with the students in the various studios and what have you. But right now we're we're usually in that two, three, four concerts a year, et cetera. And, and sometimes a faculty member will put on one of our faculty artist concert series, and there will be a historical performance element, of course, which we're associated with that as well. Awesome. You mentioned uh, a website earlier. What would be that website for our listeners to go to if they want to learn more about the ensemble, the center, concerts, this, uh, et cetera, ad nauseum? So you can find all of our information through the UCO Music website if you just go to music.uco.edu and you can find everything there. Um, if you also search for the Radke Fine Arts Theater, Radke is spelled R-A-D-K-E, Fine Arts Theater, that will take you to the website for the hall, which will link to the different events. And you can also go to the UCO College of Fine Arts website and look at the master calendar, which I know there's a lot on there, but the, the, everything is going to be reflected there as well. Awesome. Dr. Geib, thank you so much for joining us today on Spotlight. Coming up next, Eric Hyman with the Myriad Botanical Gardens. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Spotlight. My next guest is Eric Hyman, Vice President of Programming for Myriad Botanical Gardens and Scissortail Park. This Friday, August 25th, in the Devon Lawn and Bandshell, they will be presenting Your Song, an Elton John tribute. The event is free to the public. Food trucks will be available starting at 6.30 p.m., with music starting at 7.30 p.m. It will be featuring the music from Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player on their 50th anniversary in 2023. Eric, welcome to Spotlight. Thanks for having me. Well, we're excited to have you. Obviously, Myriad puts on a ton of great programming. We're going to focus specifically, though, on a little tribute to the man Elton John. We've got your song coming up tomorrow, Friday night, the 25th of August. So what can our KUCO listeners expect from this event? Oh, wow. They can expect, uh, if you're a fan of Elton John, you can expect all your favorites, all the hits. If you're a somewhat, you know, skimming over the work of Elton, you'll still really enjoy it because, of course, we are playing all the hits. I don't think I realized when I dove into this exactly how many he had and how familiar people were with him. I know he's a huge artist, but, you know, the hits keep coming. And so to have an, a group of people, a group of musicians, uh, a few bands, solo singers on piano, to have all of them still get all the songs that they wanted because there are so many of, of his well-known songs, I thought that was, that was great. 
Well, and I think uh, obviously, you know, with the summertime, although it doesn't always feel like summer is about to end, but with the, you know, summer coming to an end and the school year pretty much started up for just about everyone, seems like a great way to uh, celebrate mm-hmm. a phenomenal artist while also kind of celebrating the sort of unofficial end of the summer. Oh, yeah. I mean, we... This is the third year we've we've gone into doing this. Uh, I took over as at, back in when is this twenty twenty one as I came here as the director of events and uh, was ta- spoken to about like you know hey we have this concert we've done different things in the past and I thought this would be a great opportunity to bring the community of musicians together to really show off the work of an accomplished artist. The first year we did it, it was Joni Mitchell and the album was the 50th anniversary of blue. Then last year there was another 50th anniversary for Stevie wonder for his album. And this year it was not only goodbye yellow brick road, but don't shoot me. I'm the piano player. And you know, those possessed, you know, Benny and the jets and Daniel and uh, goodbye yellow brick road. I mean, all of these songs that we all grow up with that are, in movies all the time, like just in the zeitgeist. And I thought, you know, let's get together a bunch of bands to perform their version of these tunes, you know, and these artists to put their spin on it. Um, so we have quite a eclectic group of, of artists from poor sap, which is Hannah Helbig on harp. She leads the band and she's performing a bunch of tunes, including tiny dancer. Nice. Then I have Casey Stefan and the midnight sun, they're from Tulsa, incredible band, big band, and and they're taking on Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and Rocket Man. Ooh. And then I have to say I'm excited because I get to be in the driver's seat. Uh, I've been a touring artist for 20 years. Nice. Um, plus, and I uh, have played with the likes of, you know, open for Leon Russell and Ani DeFranco and a lot of great artists. So to get my to be able to also be involved in it is a super big treat. So my band in town is called First Hand, and we're going to be performing a lot of more of the rockier tunes like I'm Still Standing and All the Girls Love Alice, you know, all those fun tunes. And then, you know, big act at the end uh, is, is one of my favorite groups in town, the 10-piece band Soft Hands with Chase McCumber and Lacey Saunders and uh, Greg Zink, like all, all of them. I'm really pumped. And in between, we have little vignettes by Josh Roberts, Stephen Selwan, uh, and Shonda Graham, um, who I'm just thrilled to have as part of this uh, with Nevin Morgan on piano. And then it all opens up with like a little pre, pre-show pre opener set from the School of Rock. That's going to be super cool. I love, uh, and I know a lot of other cities have Schools of Rock or, or something along those lines. And it's really oh, yeah. cool to see like the, you know, these kids who are just getting into rock and roll and really learning how to play those instruments. And man, they, they get after it. One of my buddy's kids is a drummer uh, back home in Chicago. And any, anytime I've been able to uh, see performances of that, I mean, they're, they're just killing it. That's so cool that you were oh, able to get them involved. Awesome. Yeah. And again, like it's all about the experience. So of course we'll have food trucks uh, and also the big friendly beer bus, just desserts, La Vieira, like, Oklahoma kettle corn, some like it's hot, split top dogs, wicked hangry. Like, so there's going to be plenty of food, um, some great beverages, and just an opportunity to sit, <laughs> not have to move or anything, because I know it's hot outside, <laughs> to sit, sit in that evening and just enjoy, you know, all of these great artists performing the hits of Elton John. 
Well, and with it starting at 7, I mean, the sun goes down about 8, 15, well, maybe not 8, 15, 8, 30 or around there. So, you know, you're getting, yeah, you're we're getting pushing evening. It, we're probably, yeah, we're probably pushing it back about a half an hour just to give people a little a little more time away from the, the hottest point of the day. So we'll probably get started with our pre-show at 7.30 and our main acts at 8 o'clock. Okay, nice. Yeah, and that probably probably a good adjustment. And I believe it's 6 p.m. or when the food trucks will be there uh, six, to open. 6.30. 6.30? So, yeah, we okay. pushed everything back everything. a little bit. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, because we were just getting amongst ourselves a little bit like, well, what can we do to alleviate anybody's issues with this? And and would pushing it back a little more into the evening help? Um, especially says since, you know, all the weather reports say, you know, in the evening at night, it's going to be like 80 degrees. You know, so we're hoping that like getting a little bit more away from the hottest point of the day and pushing it towards the, you know, nighttime is going to give us a little bit of relief. Well, and being on the grass, you're not dealing necessarily with pavement per se. I, I realize there are sidewalks and streets in the area, but if you're in the grass, yeah. you're not, you're not going to be getting the reflection of the heat like you would if you were just walking down the sidewalk or something like that. No, and we're also like have a super big treat, which is Larson Music. Um, has donated to this event uh, a a nice little baby grand white piano. Wow! So I my whole life right now is just making sure that piano is like in great condition. I haven't because I just thought that was so generous of them to to offer us that opportunity to have like an actual like full size kind of piano on stage. Just like you would expect if uh, if it was Elton up there. That's that's going to be so cool. Yeah. Now, you've got uh, a lot of stuff that goes on. It's not just the, uh, the Your Song that will be happening this weekend. Obviously, it's the big event on Friday night. But for folks that want to learn more about all the events, all the programming, all the things that happen at the Myriad Botanical Garden, what website can we direct them to or where can they find more information? Oh, they can go to myriadgardens.org. And they can see um, the education classes that we run on Saturdays, a wide array of that where they can sign up for them and pre-register. Now, um, our fitness classes, which are free, that happen. We have, you know, at 9 a.m., we have our yoga classes on Saturday mornings. So a lot of of great opportunities at Myriad for, for people to really get involved. And then, you know, coming up on September 8th, on that Friday, we have our Busker Street Fair from 5 to 8 so there'll be vendors and buskers, some really cool things, people on stilts, you know, a human statue, artisans, food vendors. It's a really cool opportunity to come out and experience it, especially as the weather gets a little bit cooler. Yeah, fall in Oklahoma, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. And to be able to walk downtown on a beautiful fall evening and, and experience any sort of event is always a wonderful experience. At least I know it is oh, for yeah. me. And we just announced our Pumpkinville theme um, that happens in the month of October. So we just announced that, and it's called Greetings from Pumpkinville. And it's a travel-themed Pumpkinville experience where you know you get to go all around the world. And we have really cool displays and elements that we're putting together, um, almost like very inspired postcards. You know, those really vintage postcards that say Greetings from you know, Oklahoma and different places. So we're thrilled about it. And we've just announced that. So I'm, I'm pretty psyched. Crazy to think that it's going to be haunting season before we know it. <laughs> I know. When you're in my line of work, oh my gosh, it's, it's already Christmas. Oh yeah. I've already been reached out to asking if I'm available to play on Christmas Eve. So <laughs> <laughs> I have to say though, it's funny though, because 
being in the business of doing this for a living and having to be so far in the future, I don't know why in the world I would walk into like, you know, a, a pet smart or someplace and see, you know, some of the Halloween decor for animals already in <laughs> August and go, Oh, I can't believe we're already there. <laughs> Meanwhile, I like get behind my computer and start planning Christmas. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's here before you know it. Well, it's always important to be be thinking and looking ahead, especially with all the great prom- programming that happens uh, with Myriad Botanical Gardens. Ah, oh, thank you. We try our best to to really provide great experiences for for the Oklahoma City audience. Well, Eric, it sounds like there are so many great things that are going to be going on at Myriad, and especially this Friday with your song. What is one thing that you want people to potentially take away from Friday night? I'm just saying that people should come out and uh, for a great mix of Elton John hits, uh, all your favorites, that it is free to the public um, to get there a little bit early so you can get your spots. Um, we're going to I think we're going to have a full house. So I'm really excited to, to bring these artists uh, to the Myriad Gardens Devon Lawn Stage. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today on Spotlight. I'd like to thank my other guest, Dr. Michael T. Guy with the Brisch Center for Historical Performance for joining me today on Spotlight. As always, thank you for supporting Classical KUCO in making wonderful conversations like these possible. KUCO is committed to bringing you the very best in local performing arts. Until next time, enjoy the arts. <laughs>